welcome to the third edition of the IQEQC VO eLab. I'm Christian Heinen, the Managing Director of IQEQ Luxembourg and your host for today's session. Launched in May, IQEQC VO eLab is a unique series of topical online masterclasses provided by leading industry experts. Each session takes the form of an interactive webinar covering both technical and practical industry perspectives. I'm very pleased to introduce the third webinar in our series titled ATA2 BEPS and its impact on the Luxembourg's private equity funds. The aim of ATA2 is to implement measures on hybrid mismatches consistent with the rules recommended by the OECD BEPS report. Without any doubt, it will have a direct impact on Luxembourg's private equity industry. To discuss on this topic, I'm very honored to have with me today, first, Raymond Krafzikowski, tax partner, merger acquisition at Deloitte, and Frank van Koyk, partner and head of the investment management tax team of Loyens & Luf here in Luxembourg. Raymond will provide you more the conceptual framework, a snapshot and the key items for you to know. Whereas Frank will give you some practical case studies on what he sees and how he sees his client doing. You can ask the questions at any point of time during the presentation by using the question tab situated on the right-hand side of your screen. And we will take you your questions at the end of the presentation in maximum 20 minutes. Without any further delay, I now leave the virtual floor to Raymond. Have a great day and thank you for joining us. Anti-tax avoidance directive two aims at neutralizing hybrid mismatches with third countries in a very comprehensive manner. It is based on the work done by the OECD against base erosion and profit shifting, the so-called action two of BEPS report. Example and interpretation included in this report should be used to understand and implement this directive, of course, as long as it is in line with the directive. Even though not the primary target of BEPS initiative. The investment fund industry is impacted by those new rules due to the cross-border activities. But let me first start with what does hybrid mismatch means. It covers situation where there is a difference in the characterization of an instrument or an entity between two or more jurisdictions. And that leads to either a deduction with no inclusion meaning uh, an expense is deductible in one jurisdiction and the other, the jurisdiction of the investor, doesn't recognize that income deduction with no inclusion or leading to a double deduction, meaning that both in the country of the investors and in the country where the platform is located, where the fund is located, you would have your two deduction. The key concept used to prevent those mismatches includes hybrid instruments, and hybrid entities. Hybrid instruments will typically be a subordinate shareholder's debt, a preferred equity certificate, whether convertible or not, very often used in Luxembourg by alternative investment funds, and which are usually treated and regarded as debt and can create tax deductible expense at the level of the Luxembourg entity on an accrued basis. Whilst in the end, 
of the investor in that other jurisdiction, taxation could be deferred until actual payment, or there are tax benefits which can be obtained by the investor, such as exemption on that income, reduction in the income tax rate, or just tax credit. Then the second aspect is the hybrid entities, or in particular, transparent entities. This would typically be your Luxembourg entity, a private limited liability company, or SAL, that is treated for Luxembourg tax purposes as an opaque entity or corporation, and it is subject to corporate income tax. Whilst this entity could be disregarded or treated as a look-through partnership at the level of the investor, whether they have made an election for that treatment or whether it is just based on their legislation. And that could lead to two things. The first one is if there is a payment made by that Luxembourg entity to a third party, that payment could be deducted both in Luxembourg and at the level of the investor, because it doesn't look at the entity and believe that it is its own liability and payment it has made, that creates the double deduction. Or if there is a payment made by the Luxembourg entity for the benefit of its investor, there what it would create, it's a deduction at the level of the Luxembourg entity because it's a corporation, but a non-inclusion at the level of the investor because it doesn't see that Luxembourg entity, it is disregarded, it is looked through. So creating a deduction with no inclusion. This is really what BEPS is about, is avoiding those type of double deduction or double deduction and non-inclusion. There are many hybrid mismatches in the world. BEPS can't catch them all, and it's not the intention. In the same manner, the directive and the Luxembourg legislation are very specific. They are only going to catch up for hybrid mismatches, which are between associated enterprises, or that result from structural arrangement. So let me go through what is an associated enterprise, an associated entity. The definition is actually very comprehensive as well. It includes all persons that have at least 50% shareholding or the voting rights or profit entitlement in the taxpayer, and it goes in both directions. So an entity holding that or being held in that manner. This is really the definition of group entities as per the directive. Furthermore, it also includes group companies which have been uh, grouped together for accounting purposes and that need to actually to produce consolidated accounts. Finally, the ownership or rights of a person which is acting together, who is acting together with another person, need to be aggregated. I will come back to that notion of acting together in comments. The 50% threshold, which applies for associated enterprise, is reduced down to 25% for hybrid instruments. There is, of course, a question about the timing. When should we compute those 25 or 50%? Is it at year end? Is it at the time of first close? Is it at the time of second close? Or is it at a, on a commitment basis? There is no specific indication, neither in BEPS, neither in the Luxembourg legislation on that ground, but there is a sort of doctrine practice which has been developed uh, now that we have the rule already in place for, for a couple of months uh, amongst practitioners in Luxembourg. The second aspect are the structural arrangement. Typically, there will be financial instruments or entities which are treated in uh, one manner in one country and another manner in another country. And the price or the benefit of that difference in the treatment is priced into the instrument itself. 
Let me give you an example. If you have a financial instrument creating a deduction, let's say 10% in one jurisdiction and being taxed in the other at 30%, if you were successful to create an instrument which would not be taxed in that other jurisdiction, the investor jurisdiction, there is a saving of 30%, the corporate income tax. Then that saving actually could be shared between the two, the investor and the issuer of the instrument, so that the interest on that debt is not 10% anymore, but could be reduced down to 7%, giving the same benefit for both parties, or at least for the issuer, helping him to reduce its uh, indebtedness and, and the interest it pays. There are a couple of positive notes in respect of this directive. One of them is actually that tax-exempt entities, which benefit from a specific tax status or for which the instrument can benefit from an exemption because of their specific rules, those won't be counted into the directive and be outside the scope of the directive. So pension funds, which benefit from some exemption, will not be a bad entity for the purpose of the directive. So the rationale why there is an exemption would be acceptable for the purpose of the directive and the Luxembourg legislation. Tax outcome, which are solely attributable to the difference in the value of the payment, are also outside the scope of the directive. So if you were going to make an adjustment, let's say for transfer pricing reason, on an interest-free debt and get a deduction in the source country, as it can be done in Luxembourg, and if there is no pickup in the other investor country, that's not something which will be caught by the directive. That's the two news, two good news, uh, included in the directive and comment to the directive. What are the consequences if we are within the scope of the directive? The directive laid down primary and secondary rules to deny deduction of expenses and losses, or to require the taxpayer to include the income in its taxable base. So from a double deduction, you will end up with a single deduction, or from a deduction and non-inclusion, you will end up with a non-deduction and a non-inclusion. So the tax benefit is going to disappear. That's the purpose of the directive. The directive also provides for rules for imported mismatches. And it's really what it is. It's what it says. It's mismatches which are occurring outside the EU between two entities not EU-based, uh, creating a double deduction or deduction with no inclusion, exactly what would happen between European companies. This mismatch, if it is created by a deduction in the source country in an European entity, this mismatch is going to be imported and create a non-deduction at the level of the payer. So a Luxembourg entity making a payment, which is used to fund that mismatch, can't benefit from the deduction anymore. And the same would apply for the other European countries. Let me now come back to the notion of acting together very important notion, the ownership or rights of a person, a person that are acting together should be aggregated to determine whether the entities are associated or not. And we've seen how important that associated enterprise aspect is for the purpose of the director. Luxembourg has decided to take a very pragmatic approach and applies a reputable presumption that investor holding less than 10% in an investment fund should not be viewed as acting together with any other person. 
this allow in principle to exclude from associated enterprise investor holding less than 10% and not exercising otherwise common control over the investment made by the fund. For this purpose, investment fund are broadly speaking collective investment vehicle which raises capital for a number of investors with a view to invest this capital in accordance with a defined investment policy and of course for the benefit of the investors. Meaning that if you have a fund with 11 investors, all of them holding less than 10%, you would be totally outside the scope of this directive based on that reputable presumption. That was the intention of the Luxembourg authorities to simplify the whole process. All those rules are already applicable. They were applicable as from the 1st January 2020. There is another concept that I would like to cover, and that concept actually is not yet into and didn't enter yet into force, is going to be implemented only as from the 1st January 2022. However, we've got already the legislation and how it's going to be look, looking like. And that concept or that other additional aspect of the EU directive on ATAD is reverse hybrid. This is typically a Luxembourg partnership, an SCSP, which is regarded as a look-through partnership from Luxembourg tax purposes, and that will be treated as an opaque corporation under the laws of the investors, creating possibly a double deduction or creating possibly a deduction without inclusion. This partnership would become taxable to the extent of the income of these entities, not taxed in the end of the investors. Again, we will be using the associated enterprise concept. The 50% threshold is going to be applied here. The directive did provide for some exemption in respect of this reverse hybrid treatment, and the Luxembourg legislation did opt and go along the, the rules and the recommendation of the directive. So, directive provides for a car for collective investment funds, meaning in Luxembourg, UCITS undertaking collective investment funds, part two, specialized investment funds, reserve alternative investment funds with either special investment fund or CCAR investment policies, as well as all other alternative investment funds, which are widely held, hold a diversified portfolio of securities and are subject to investor protection rules in the country where they are established. So that's another good news, shall we say. Let me quote here, and to nearly finalize this presentation, Albert Einstein, who said, other thing to understand in the word is income tax. You probably will agree with me that this quote has never been more true than today. As conclusion, it is paramount for fund manager, if not already done, to review the existing structure and to take into account this piece of legislation into the strategy for new fund structuring, new fund raising, those new rules may have a very important impact in respect of the return for the investors. So, you know, definitely something to watch out. And without any further ado, I would let you, Frank, let you through some example, practical example of the outcome of this directive. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond. That was uh, was very helpful. Let me first introduce myself. I'm uh, Frank van Kuyk. I'm uh, with Loyens in Luxembourg. 
uh, already for some uh, some 15 years. I'm a partner in the investment management and tax practice, and I'm very much exposed to all uh, private equity funds and investment management industry. And I typically focus on advice in relation to BEPS and, and ATAT. So let's go to this uh, this next slide. On the left hand side, we see a typical private equity structure in Luxembourg. So we see a Lux fund organized as a partnership that funds invests uh, through two uh, Luxembourg uh, project companies and each of the project companies uh, hold a target entity. The idea is that these Luxembourg project entities should give rise to uh, reduced withholding tax rates uh, upon distribution from the targets to the project holding companies and the project holding companies are able to repatriate their income uh, tax-free back up to uh, the Luxembourg fund under an income sharing loan. That was how it all worked pre-BEPS. Uh, Post-BEPS, um, it all works uh, uh, differently. Um, BEPS Action 6 basically requires um, uh, that Luxembourg entities uh, aiming to claim treaty benefits do avail of uh, appropriate substance and are considered to be the beneficial owner of the income they earned. Um, so on the left hand slide, uh, there is little substance in Luxembourg. There's also um, a poor beneficial ownership position because basically all the income uh, received by the project companies is paid on to the Luxembourg fund under the income sharing loan. On the right hand side, that is uh, totally different because first of all, we have only one project company there that pools the two investments. The project company avails of proper substance provided uh, either by the fund manager or by uh, a Luxembourg management company. Uh, the fund manager or the management company uh, avails of uh, staff of office space and performs the relevant functions uh, to the uh, Luxembourg proper, property project company under an um, under an uh, specific agreement. Next to that, the beneficial ownership position of the Luxembourg entity is uh, enhanced because the entity is now funded with 15% equity and for 85% with an interest-bearing loan. That all uh, means that uh, typically this Luxembourg entity would be able to um, sustain a challenge under BEPS Action 6 because its uh, substance position and beneficial ownership position are heavily improved. Um, I think it's fair to say that most of the private equity structures in Luxembourg have undergone this maintenance already some two, three years ago. So most of the setups in Luxembourg are definitely structured um, as depicted on the right-hand side and not anymore in the way uh, uh, as depicted on the, on the left-hand side. So let's move to the next slide to see uh, how the industry has responded on BEPS Action 4. On the, on the left-hand side, we see a typical uh, structure to uh, acquire uh, non-performing loans, NPLs. Non-performing loans were typically acquired via an NPL acquisition code structured under the fund. Um, the non-performing loans, uh, let's assume that they, uh, they they are redeemed at par, so they bought at 80 cents of the dollar and redeemed at par. So that would mean a capital gain in the NPL entity of 20. That capital gain was typically stripped under the 99% income sharing loan. 
and there was only a tax basis of one at the level of um, the NPL acquisition company. Uh, with BEPS Action 6, that uh, basically ended because BEPS Action 6 basically says if there is interest income stripping out income, taxable income, which does not qualify as interest, the corresponding interest deductions are kept at 30% of the corresponding income. So that would mean if um, the NPL entity buys uh, a loan at 70, the loan is sold at 100, that there is a gain at the level of the NPL acquisition company of 30. In the past, 29 could be stripped out under the income sharing loan, but nowadays it's basically only possible to strip out 10. So that would mean that the NPL acquisition co would have a taxable basis of 20 in Luxembourg. So that basically means that uh, BEPS Action 4 leads to substantial tax leakage at the level of the NPL acquisition co. Uh, the industry uh, responded to that. Basically, uh, three types of structures are typically used nowadays. These uh, structures are um, depicted on the right-hand side. Um, the structure that is um, uh, heavily used is um, the structure where it's not an acquisition code that acquires the distress debt, uh, but an alternative investment fund, a master alternative investment fund. We call it a master because it is structured under the feeder fund, which is organized as the, as the partnership uh, depicted as the triangle. The master alternative investment fund is not impacted by uh, the earning stripping rules because Luxembourg law provides for a carve out of alternative investment funds from the earning stripping rules. So basically the master alternative investment fund is in the same position as the acquisition co was pre-BEPS. So it's an efficient structure. Obviously it comes also with a downside because uh, a master alternative investment fund is an alternative investment fund and therefore comes with maintenance costs. You have to, for example, you have to appoint a regulated manager in Luxembourg or in Europe. Uh, you have to do reporting towards investors. You have to appoint a, a depository. So there's definitely a cost aspect to consider there. The alternative is to structure the non-performing loans directly in the fund entity. So that is the structure which is uh, basically uh, depicted on the, in the middle. Uh, idea is there that uh, the Luxembourg fund is not impacted by earning stripping rules because it is simply not taxpayer in Luxembourg. Uh, that structure is very efficient and very easy unless the non-performing loans need treaty protection because in that case, it is not um, efficient to structure, structure them directly in the fund. You would need to structure them through a taxpayer in Luxembourg. So if that is the case, you need to structure them to a taxpayer in Luxembourg. You could choose the alternative investment fund solution. But if that is deemed too burdensome or too expensive, there's also an alternative. And that's again an NPL acquisition co. Uh, as depicted on the far right-hand side, that entity acquires non-performing loans, realizes the gain, and the gain is stripped out under an expense which does not qualify as interest from a Luxembourg perspective. And if that expense does not qualify as interest, it's also not caught by the earning stripping rules. 
typically the expense that should not qualify as interest is structured on the uh, warrant kind of arrangement and conversion feature in the in the loan um, and that uh, charge triggered under that conversion premium can generally be held that that is not interest and therefore deductible. It should be noted that the Luxembourg tax authorities have not confirmed this uh, black and white, but it is a structure which is, is heavily used in the market. So also for earnings stripping rules, uh, there are definitely uh, solutions in Luxembourg to structure them efficient without any material uh, leakage uh, in the investment structure. Okay, let's now focus on BEPS Action 2, the anti-hybrid rules and how the industry responded to that. Um, on the left-hand side, we see a structure pre-BEPS. So we see a Lux multi-project uh, co that holds a target and grants a shareholder loan to that target. Uh, the income under the shareholders loan is tax, uh, taxable at the level of the project co, uh, but also sheltered under a corresponding back-to-back -back loan granted by the fund. And at the level of the fund, there is no tax pickup. So the Lux multi-project co is uh, not in a, in, in a tax payable position there because the income is sheltered by a corresponding expense. That corresponding expense uh, is not secured anymore um, uh, person to the, the anti-hybrid rules. Because if that uh, expense is basically uh, arising in respect of, an, of a payment, uh, which is a payment to a hybrid arrangement, as we call it, um, the tax deduction at the level of the multi-project go is no longer secured. Um, so the question then pops up, what is a hybrid arrangement? There are uh, a number of uh, hybrid arrangements mentioned in ATAT, but the typical hybrid arrangement is the fact that the Luxembourg entity pays to a Luxembourg fund, which is from a Luxembourg perspective, a transparent entity. So Luxembourg sees a payment to the investors directly. Some of the investors, investor one and investor two, however, see the fund as a tax opaque entity and don't report the corresponding income because they argue it is the fund that receives the income. So that means that Luxembourg basically gives tax deduction on uh, a payment which is not recognized by investors because investors allocated to the Luxembourg fund. So that means that there is a deduction but no tax inclusion. And that is exactly what um, the anti-hybrid rules try to combat. So how do private equity structures typically deal with it? That is what we see on the right-hand side. The right-hand side uh, overview uh, pre presents the three typical solutions we see in the market. Uh, the first response to the anti-hybrid rules is uh, a structural response. And that structural response basically entails that between the Luxembourg fund, the triangle and the project co, uh, a RIFE SIF is interposed. Uh, and that is a corporate RIFE SIF. And a RIFE SIF is basically an investment fund in Luxembourg, which is tax neutral and structured as, uh, as a corporate entity. In this case, uh, the Lux project company doesn't pay to the Lux fund because at that level we have the qualification difference but pays 
to the Luxembourg Rive SIF, and there we don't have a qualification difference because Luxembourg views that entity as an opaque entity, and the investors would typically do that as well. So that means that the Luxembourg project company does not pay to a hybrid arrangement anymore, and that the tax deductions at the level of the project holding company are now secured. So that's structurally a very simple solution, but we all recognize that this solution also comes at the price because Arrive SIF is not a simple SPV. It is a genuine fund in Luxembourg. For a SIF, you have to get CSSF approval. For Arrive and for a SIF, you need to appoint uh, a regulated, uh, regulated manager in Europe. Uh, so it comes with uh, depository requirements, with reporting, and that all comes at a cost. So some of the smaller funds uh, do not want to go this route. They would use uh, preferably a more contractual allocation solution, and that is basically response two. Response two basically says if there is tax leakage in the structure caused by hybridity rules, that that leakage is also picked up by the entities or by the investors that caused the tax leakage, so by the bad investor. So that basically means that if, if there is tax leakage here as a result of hybridity rules of, uh, let's say, 100, that that 100 of tax leakage will be clawed back from the uh, capital accounts of investor one and investor two, but not of investor three. So you can imagine that good investors are very much interested in these allocation clauses, because if these allocation clauses aren't there, they may have to pick up tax leakage caused by bad investor one and bad investor two, and that's obviously not what they want. Um, an alternative response or a response that is used in combination with response two is uh, that the GP has some discretion uh, to ask uh, certain bad investors to uh, invest via blockers in the fund structure or uh, via AIV, so separate investment vehicles that uh, have the same exposure um, to the investment policy of the fund, but these investors do not actually go through the fund. And uh, in that way, you could also avoid uh, hybridity problems. Uh, so to, to make a long story short, the structural solution is uh, typically only used by, uh, by, 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 by larger funds, I would say as from 1 billion typically, uh, and the allocation and uh, AIV clauses, we typically see them back in uh, all the LPAs of, uh, of Luxembourg uh, fund structures because uh, good investors, basically typically push hard for them let's move to uh let's now move to the next slide this slide uh explains how, how uh, the industry is uh responding to reverse hybrid rules uh, so on the left hand side we see uh, a pre-beps uh, investment structure so again we have the luxembourg partnership there with the target underneath it and we have three investors all holding um, uh, uh, a stake of 33% uh, in, in the fund. So in this case, that would mean that we have a majority of bad investors in the fund structure. Uh, previously, that wouldn't mean anything, but going forward, uh, that uh, may mean that the fund will become a taxable entity in Luxembourg 
and it will be taxed insofar its performance is allocable to investor one and investor two. So suddenly the investment fund in Luxembourg, which is typically tax neutral, will become a taxpayer in Luxembourg. And obviously that is a, a very serious concern. So the question is now how to deal uh, with such concerns in the fund documentation. Uh, we typically see that uh, managers either set up their partnership type of funds under the RIFE or the SIF regime, or uh, provide for a clause in the uh, LPA, uh, which basically gives them the right to convert the LUX funds into a RIFE or into a SIF. The idea is that the reverse hybrid rules, if and when they kick in, are set aside by the tax provisions that are in the RIFE and SIF regime, because the RIFE and SIF regime basically uh, say that the partnership uh, is uh, a tax neutral entity. So what we would say here is that the RIFE and the SIF regime set aside the more general rules, um, the more, more general reverse hybrid rules are set aside by the RIFE and SIF regime, which are more specific. So if and when the LUX fund will qualify as a reverse hybrid, there's still nothing to tax there because it is protected by the RIFE SIF regime. So that is the first solution. And admittedly, uh, that solution is, 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 is not um, uh, bulletproof eh, because it is not tried and tested in Luxembourg, but it is something which is at least used in the market to have an extra safety belt to uh, to uh, when uh, the, the uh, when the reverse hybrid rules may kick in. The alternative is also depicted on the uh, on the right hand side uh, in the in the in the right hand corner, and that is basically uh, again uh, the GP who has the right to uh, segregate certain investors in AIV structures, which have uh, the same exposure as uh, as the, the Luxembourg fund to, uh, to the target entities. Um, so the GP can uh, ask a certain investor here to invest via, for example, an offshore fund, because an offshore fund is typically not impacted by reverse hybrid rules because it's not based in Europe. Uh, the GP can also ask uh, an investor to come in via blocker. Um, because the idea is that the blocker entity would view the fund as a tax transparent entity. Therefore, there's no qualification conflict and therefore the fund will not be a reverse hybrid. And as an extra safety belt, the LUX fund would also adopt or um, uh, the possibility to adopt the RIVE SIF regime that would potentially also protect against uh, adverse impact of the reverse hybrid rules. Um, I think what should be clearly on the radar here is that uh, the reverse hybrid rules will also not easily kick in. And the reason for that is because a fund has to have majority of bad investors. And in practice, we just experienced that that is not often the case. So some managers are pretty relaxed on the reverse hybrid rules simply because they have a very diversified uh, investor based and they don't anticipate, don't anticipate a majority of bad investors. Um, there's also another exclusion uh, from the reverse hybrid rules and that exclusion basically says that if a fund is widely held, 
um, that it's also not impacted by the reverse hybrid rules. The issue here is that the Luxembourg authorities didn't give any guidance on the concept of widely held. Um, so uh, practitioners in Luxembourg struggle a bit with this because uh, they simply cannot advise a client when a fund is widely held or is not widely held. The general idea is, however, that if a fund does not have investors that hold more than 10% in a specific fund, uh, that there is uh, um, uh, that the fund can should qualify as 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 being widely held. But that's more a rule of practice uh, than than anything else. So also here, I think the conclusion is that uh, the industry is uh, very well aware of the reverse hybrid rules. The rules do not easily kick in because the, stand, the standards that are set are quite high. And if they are kick in, there are definitely uh, potential solutions that avoid uh, adverse impact of the reverse hybrid rules. So I think uh, to summarize all this, um, what we typically see is that uh, if um, uh, managers come to Luxembourg with their fund structures, they go all in. So they come with substance and definitely with, uh, with beneficial ownership. Um, investment structures are heavily impacted by earnings stripping rules and anti-hybrid rules. And as you have seen in the slides, there are definitely uh, solutions um, to avoid uh, adverse impact on the IRR of the fund of these uh, of these new sets of rules. Which uh, solution um, uh, is is dominant or fits best? Uh, heavily depends on the investment profile and the volumes uh, that are investment uh, that are investment are invested through Luxembourg. Um, so I believe we now go to the to Q and A session. Many thanks, Frank and Raymond, for sharing these insights, which I think was quite useful and in a very condensed manner. So a uh, couple of questions that came up uh, during this, this session. Uh, the first one is um, one topic that came also back uh, in, in your presentation is that a lot of these solutions or models, they, they are lacking maybe testing by the authorities or maybe there's no clear guidance on whether they are valid or not valid. Uh, can you maybe elaborate a bit more on, you know, why is there no guidance for now? And do you expect that to change, right? Maybe, Frank, you can pick that up. Yes, absolutely. Um, there is indeed uh, not, more, not much guidance for the moment. The only guidance we have are basically the parliamentary documents, which are uh, on most of the points still pretty vague. Um, uh, the rumor already goes in Luxembourg for some two years now that there is guidance to be expected from the tax authority, so some kind of circular. Uh, that guidance uh, didn't come, um, and I think the general belief is that we should not no longer wait for it because the idea is that the Luxembourg authorities are very reluctant to issue uh, guidance on some of the key concepts of ATAT simply because they are worried that they frustrate uh, the Commission. So we typically see the European Commission. So we typically see now that uh, managers are uh, basically relying on, on market practice, on, on, on common views shared among practitioners in Luxembourg. And on that basis, they just check whether they are in the herd or out of, or out of the herd. And if they are out of the herd, they are generally worried. And if they are in the herd, they are 
typically uh, they're typically comfortable with their structures. So that is uh, unfortunately a bit how we see, how we have to advise them nowadays whether their structure is in the herd or out of the herd, simply because there is not much uh, technical guidance from the tax authorities. Okay, thanks. Um, you mentioned maybe an, another question that came up, maybe Frank as well on that one, is you, you, you said that fund managers come, come all in. Have you seen any impact that fund managers have changed uh, their perception on, on Luxembourg or, you know, in, in, in the complexity and that they've taken, they've taken decisions maybe going elsewhere or structuring differently? Uh, any, any practical examples? No, we don't really see that, to be honest. Uh, if a manager decides to set up a European uh, vehicle to go out uh, for, for European money, obviously you go to Luxembourg because you cannot really go anywhere else in Europe. But if you go to Luxembourg nowadays, that also comes at a price and that price is called substance. Um, so that means that if managers do come to Luxembourg, they also come with substance nowadays. They realize it comes at a cost. So either they set up a separate management vehicle uh, to manage their SPV structures in Luxembourg. So they hire some employees. Typically, I would say one employee for, 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 for 20 companies. Um, they have office space in Luxembourg and basically they do all the corporate housekeeping in-house. They oversee the investments in-house financials are still done by by third-party service providers and that is the way setups work nowadays and the next step in that process is basically when you have set up your spv management vehicle um, there are certainly uh, also managers that are uh, considering to set up a full aifmd compliant entity in luxembourg to manage their funds from luxembourg and that obviously uh, gives some extra substance to the structure and i would say setting up your own AFIM in Luxembourg is a thing managers typically do as from a 1 billion assets on the management because then basically the benefits outweigh uh, outweigh the costs. So that is typically what we see nowadays. So the sector is going all in, in different mm. sorts and forms, but that's, that is what they do. Yeah. Now, they can obviously also rent. The ones that are maybe below that threshold can always rent and work with the service provider as well. Uh, yeah, so obviously. Yeah, obviously, I think that is a, a model that we are very uh, familiar with in Luxembourg. Um, as from 1 billion, it's it's getting interesting to set up a manager yourself. However, even as from 1 billion, uh, we all realize in Luxembourg, it's not easy to find qualified people in Luxembourg. It is expensive. So we also see managers that that, that use the third party model and that is tried and tested and, 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 and works very well in Luxembourg. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. There's a, uh, maybe also in terms of time, there's a last question, quite interesting actually, to also to close that, that off. Uh, I will uh, address it to give it over to Raymond. Is there anything uh, on the tax horizon, right, that you see that comes after at that, right? So I think uh, our customers and clients, and generally there's, there's so many developments on, on many regulatory aspects, right? So what comes after? Will it, will it stop one point of time? So, it's not going to stop this year, that's for sure. So we certainly are working on DAC 6, so implementation of the reporting aspect for what is viewed as aggressive tax planning. DAC 7 is already ready, so it's somewhere there. Uh, but most importantly, I believe that there is a huge piece of work which is currently done by the OECD 
in respect of taxation of digital economy. And that was upon the request of the EU. Um, and the EU gave to, to the OECD until the year end, basically to come up with some recommendation and possibly some agreement as well with uh, the US and some other big countries. Um, so they are working on it. And we, we know that there are already two pillars that have been proposed. The first pillar is um, how to allocate the profit coming from digital to permanent establishment or share the profit between various entities within the group. And the second pillar is more on sort of um, abusive aspect, whereby for uh, entities which pay low level of tax, there will be automatically inclusion of that taxable base at the level of um, one of the taxpayer, which is of course in a high uh, tax jurisdiction. Um, it's, it's a sort of guilty uh, tax which will be introduced uh, based on those recommendations. I believe that if the OECD doesn't conclude by the year end, then it's going to be the EU, which will then take the pencil and start writing the legislation. So the good point so far based on the OECD recommendation and papers that we've seen, the fund industry should be excluded at least from the first pillar. Uh, see what will happen if it is the yeah. EU which takes over the pencil, whether they will you know, include the, the same exclusion or provide for the same exclusion as the OECD. Yeah, the, the good thing at EU level, Luxembourg has also like a word to say to it. So we will see how this develops. If it would affect the AIF industry, we would definitely have another CFO lab on that topic then as, and as well. would uh, be glad to have you on board for that one. I think in terms of time, these were three questions, but obviously, um, you know, everybody can ask questions also to Frank, Raymond, either directly reaching out to us and we, you know, can pass over your questions. Um, on my side, a big thanks, Raymond and Frank, right? So for, for joining us for this CFO lab. Uh, I hope that you all found it very useful uh, and we would be glad to see you next time again to the next CFO lab and, uh, uh, you know, wish you a nice day and thanks for joining and hope it was yeah, very useful for you. Take care, right? Thank you.